least favorite food? Can we go with uh, like healthy food? I actually eat paper. Well, I do like bread, but I don't like the crust. I would say broccoli for me scrambled eggs. If you were president, what would you do first? Uh, fire myself. I'm gonna listen and be quiet. I, I would. Want I would have a speech. popsicles forever. I would have a speech on TV telling. Don't eat the animals in danger, only if we have lots of meat. What do you think about people who are very nice? They're mostly bullies. I, I wouldn't really like them. Kind of sad. Sad because they will make friends. If you could change <laughs> one thing about the world, what would you change? Uh, the president of North Korea. Yep. Same here. <laughs> I wish I had a tree house. No one eats the endangered animals. We want our animals to keep growing. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> you heard it here first. Mmm. And uh, so what will, what will we tell the children? That's the question we're asking these days. And obviously some, somebody's been talking to their children already about some of this stuff, it seems to me. All right. So, uh, so look, we're going we're gonna to look into Scripture. We're on this series uh, called What Will We Tell the Children? It's about important things. It's about hard things to figure out. It's about hard things for us to talk about sometimes. But before we get into that, let me just remind you that this will be my last weekend with you for a while. Donna and I have a gift from our church to be able to go and take a sabbatical for several weeks. And uh, so we're very excited about that. I want to show you the church that we're going to be serving in. So I'm going to be serving this little church in uh, Rumney, New Hampshire. And uh, that's it right there. And, yeah. So we're going to be, we're going to, here's what we're doing. We're going to give them two days a week and we're going to serve them. We have a value here at Lakeside which says we give ourselves to others. And I'm just trying to live that out. It's like I got, I got this gift from Lakeside to be able to go and play and have fun, but I thought I could, I could serve somebody else at the same time. So that's what we're doing. Sunday and Monday, we'll be working for them, and then the rest of the week, we'll be traveling around New England and eating lobster and s stuff like that. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, I know. It's, uh, someone's got to do it, so it's going to be us. So... Uh, and I think I told you last week that um, I, I, I've got some children that are special in my life that I need to tell them, you know, like what will we tell the children? I got these little grandkids growing up and I'm going to leave them behind for this month. I, and I told you I'd show them to you. So growing up, right? Yeah. And, uh, and the other one. <laughs> She's got the tummy for it. Yeah. So it's all good. Anyway, so, yeah, so um, would you pray for us while we're gone? Uh, I will be praying for you, but I'm not going to think about you a whole lot, just, just to be fair, okay? But I would like it if you think about us, pray for us, that the ministry we give to that church is effective and helpful, and that the rest that we have uh, together will be uh, restorative and life-giving. So, appreciate that. Uh, let's look into scripture together today. We have one more topic in this series we've been talking about. What will we tell the children? 
And uh, the first thing I would, I, and I don't think I'd say it like this to them, but you'll grasp it this way. The first thing I want children to know is that God is a God of resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead, and that changes everything. And a God who can raise the dead can change the living. So the whole mission of Lakeside is to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. That first part, transformation, it means life change. And if God can raise the dead, then he can change the living. That's us. And so sometimes if you look at your life and you despair and you go, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get over this bad habit. I'm never going to get past this thought process that I go through. Whatever those things are, a God who can raise the dead can change the living. A God who can, cha- can raise the dead can change me. And I want us to grasp that as we go into these things we're talking about, whether we're talking about ethnic challenges and racial challenges, whether we're talking about sexuality differences and difference of opinions, whatever those things are, God has the capacity to change me. And so we've been asking as we go through this series, what needs a resurrection in your life? What in my life needs a resurrection? And there's something that needs a resurrection in our lives, probably in every one of us, not sure if every one of us, because I'm not going to, I can't get into your head and into your heart and go, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. But probably for every one of us, we need a resurrection in, in this capacity, in what I believe is Jesus' most astonishing teaching. And if you read the teachings of Jesus, if you've engaged in the teachings of, of Jesus, he said a lot of astonishing things. Here's the one that I think is most astonishing of everything he said. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to look it up with me, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to look it up in the YouVersion app on your tablet or smartphone, you can do that. You can just listen if you like. But here's the most, I think, the most astonishing thing that Jesus ever said. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are some contrasts being made. Jesus goes through six different old teachings from the law, and he gives the Old Testament teaching. He gives the teaching of the law, and then he adds to it, and he says, I say this to you. You thought it was here. I'm raising the bar, and it's actually here. And all the way through the first five, he quotes the Old Testament law, and then he gives, this is what I said to you. And he teaches with such authority that at the end of the talk, the people that were there listening were astonished at his teaching because he taught like one having authority and not like their usual teachers. Like, man, when Jesus speaks, you know that's coming from God's heart. That's what they felt like. That's what they said. And now when he gets to the sixth one of these of these comparisons, he ups the ante a little bit because he doesn't just quote the scripture, but he quotes an axiom, like a, like a law on top of a law. That's sort of what an axiom is. And so here's the Old Testament law that he quotes. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. And that's, that's right out of the Old Testament scriptures. It comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It's interesting because it's just the second half of a verse, but it's huge for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then Jesus goes on and he quotes what does not come from the law, but it came from the Pharisees. It came from these religious leaders who wanted to, wanted to make it sure everyone knew, hey, we're doing it right. And so they added this axiom on and it said this, yes, love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. Now we have 2,000 years of following Jesus behind us where we go, yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't really sound right. But for them it sounded really good. It's like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. The Bible says, love your, love your neighbor, but it doesn't say anything about your enemy. So you can hate your enemy, and that would be just fine. That's how they left it. So interesting how hate feels righteous when it happens to us. Hate, hate has been around forever. Hate has been around since Cain killed Abel. Hate has been around since the first guy stole his neighbor's property or his wife or his idea or his view. Hate has been around since the first king levied a tax against his neighbors. Hate has been around since the first neighbor built a fence over his neighbor's property line. Hate has been around since different people began to develop differing uh, philosophies of faith. And so they began to hate one another. And so Jews began to hate Jesus' followers, Christians. And Christians ended up hating Muslims and actually killed some of them in the name of Jesus. And then Catholics hated Protestants and actually killed some of them in the name of Jesus until they found out that Protestants were also good at killing Catholics in the name of Jesus. If you've never read church history or if you've never read history from a church perspective and you haven't paid attention to the killing that goes on in the name of religion, you'll be shocked. But hate has always been with us since the very first time someone stepped on my toe or trampled on my pride. And hate is not just out there, it ends up being in here. And the axiom, love your neighbor but hate your enemy, justifies hate. It's like, well, he's your enemy. You can, you, you can hate him because he's your enemy. Of course, you know, he's, of course, he's your enemy. You can hate him. Hate feels justified. When our values are different from one another. Hate feels justified. When our opinions are different from one another. Hate feels justified when our skin looks different from one another. Hate feels justified when our lifestyle looks different from one another. Hate feels justified when our politics are different from one another. Hate feels justified. Justified, even if I just feel you're stupid. No? Hang with, hang with me. Let's, let's see how this rolls out. Hate just seems easy to justify. We live today in a world of sanctified hate. We live in a world of authorized hate. When Stephen Bannon, who was uh, recently an advisor to our president, went to a foreign country and told a group of politicians there, you can wear the title racist as a badge of honor. That's sanctified hate. 
when, Congressman, Congress, when uh, a congressman from Florida named Matt Gates justifies trolling his enemies. You know what trolling is? Trolling, trolling comes from the fishing world. So you put a line out, and then you, and then you slowly reel it in. You slowly reel it in. And, and if it shines enough, the, the fish get angry at it sometimes, and they strike the bait, and then you've hooked them. When you do this in a political world, when you do this in the social media world, you're putting a bait out there to make somebody else angry so you can hook them and then roll them in. This congressman, Matt Gates, said, the convention that one should never be perceived to troll another that has a different point of view is a very country club approach to politics. Like, it's a very nice way to have politics, but it's not the way we should do it. It's not the way I'm going to do it. He went on to acknowledge that his tactics are designed to infuriate his opponents. You ever been on social media and and you see a post that someone's put out and and you just have this suspicion that that post was designed to infuriate your opponents? It's called trolling. And it is not the model of followers of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And in the world we live in, we authorize hate. We politicize hate. And then we justify it. And Jesus shows us a better way. This is the astonishing part. Jesus says, love your enemies. Have you ever had an enemy? Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> you know, when I was younger, I'm like, I don't have any enemies, and I don't know what Jesus is talking about. I got to this part of the scripture, and I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm a nice guy. Everyone likes me. I like them. We're good. I don't have any enemies. And then I grew up. Like, huh, there's, there's, there's people in the world that don't like me. And I have this little, thing, this little switch that goes off in my inside somewhere. I don't even know where it's located because I'd take it out if I could find it. But I have this little thing that flips when, they, when someone doesn't like me. I go, I don't like you either. <laughs> Is anybody in here like me? Yeah. Or am I just the one? Isn't that how it goes? And we don't look at our, we don't go, oh, I have enemies. No, you just mock people. You just treat people with, not you, Sorry. <laughs> That's a good way to make you hate me. We just mock people. We just treat people with contempt. We just treat people like they're just plain stupid. Because they are. (laughs) You see how easy it is to justify hate? Now, I don't think you're murdering someone from a different party. I don't think you're murdering someone who has a different sexuality viewpoint than you do. But how much are we harboring hate in here? How much are we living by the axiom of the Pharisees as opposed to the teaching of Jesus? We buy into what the Pharisees said. You love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We're like, yeah, that's good. That's fair. That's just. Jesus said, let's do it differently. Let's love our enemies. And let's acknowledge this first. Let me acknowledge this first or close to first. That's impossible. 
When someone is punching you in the nose, it's impossible to love them. When someone is figuratively punching you in the nose, it's impossible to love them apart from the love of God, apart from the power of God, apart from a resurrection. But if God can raise the dead, he can change the living. And God is not necessarily prone to change your enemy. You know who God is prone to change? Us. I wish he'd change my enemy. But he really wants to change me. He says, love your enemies. And I go, well, I don't know how to do that because when I really have an enemy, when there's really someone who is opposing me, when there's really someone punching me in the face, it's hard to love them. So I don't know how. So let's just walk through some ways to love our enemies. Number one, maybe it'd be helpful if we would reconsider how we see ourselves. Because sometimes we deny we have an enemy. You're like me when I was in junior high or high school or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, we're all good. College, yeah, we're all good. And so we, we kind of deny that we have enemies because that, that realization that I actually have an enemy in this world, that I actually treat someone as an enemy in this world, casts shade upon my image that I projected out there of being a nice person. Maybe I need to reconsider how I see myself in regard to people who maybe I treat as enemies. Ask this question. Do I treat anyone in my life with contempt? Anyone. My neighbor who plays his music too loud at night or revs his motorcycle at 6 o'clock in the morning, the, hardy, the loud one? Or... Or the, the guy at work that took my, took my promotion, that one, do I treat them with contempt? Or a political opponent or a political party? Do I, do I treat the people in the political party that I don't ascribe to? Do I, do I treat them like they're stupid? Oh, wait, you answer to yourself because we do we do it all the time and we deny the teaching of Jesus who said love your enemies maybe we need to reconsider how we see ourselves maybe we could reconsider what we feed ourselves some of us are media junkies. Don't raise your hand. But some of us are. Some of us, like, some of us like the media. And there's all kinds of media outlets these days. There's broadcast media. There's cable media. There's social media. There's all kinds of media today. And we immerse ourselves in it. And there are some beautiful things about media and how we communicate with one another. And there are some horrific things about media in our generation. I don't know how often you stop and think about this question. Is the media that I'm consuming making it harder for me to love my enemies? Or maybe, or maybe think of it this way. Every media is about ratings. Broadcast media, it's about ratings. Cable media, it's about ratings. 
Social media, it's about ratings because it's all about advertising. It's about how many likes do I get. So Facebook wants me to be liked and I want me to be liked a lot. It's about ratings. And so when you see a post or when you see a piece that is in broadcast media or cable media, you see a piece that's presented, ask yourself this question. What's the expected outcome of this piece? What's the expected outcome of this post? Do they want to encourage my life or do they want me to get angry at somebody? And if you find out that the purpose of that post or the purpose of that piece is to make you angry at someone, would you consider not consuming that media anymore? We are choking ourselves to death on media that is designed to make enemies. And maybe once we reconsider how we feed ourselves, maybe we would reconsider how we express ourselves. Sometimes I run into Jesus followers who are adamant about, we have to get this message out, we have to do it this way, and we, they're like, we have a prophetic message to give. And I always find it so interesting when someone who's a follower of Jesus wants to give this prophetic message, and they always look like they just ate glass. <laughs> or whatever the thing is that makes you look like, you know, whatever that thing is. I'm like, okay, we have a prophetic message, and it has beautiful things in it, and it has challenging things in it. Both. Do we have to give the prophetic message like we're angry? Is the predominant emotion that God experiences anger? Is the predominant emotion that Jesus wants his followers to experience in this world, is it anger? We have a message. It's called the gospel. It's about good news. And we treat it sometimes when we give it to the world like it's, like it's poison. And the way we give it feels like it's poison because it has so much hate in it. I think of the message that we're giving as the what. Like the gospel, that's the what. Are we telling the what with a bad how? Because how matters. Jesus says, love your enemies. And then he goes, and then he, he goes on and makes it harder. Did you see what he said next? He said, oh, and I want you to pray for your enemies. I want you to love your enemies, and I want you to pray for them. Now, there's, I saw a bumper sticker when Barack Obama was elected president. I hadn't seen it before, but it's probably been around as a bumper sticker for a long time. And sometimes I think, oh, that's cool. The Bible made a bumper sticker. Like, you know, somebody, somebody thought enough of this verse to put it on their bumper. And so I saw this bumper sticker. It said, uh, I'm, I'm committed to pray for Barack Obama, or if I'm committed to pray for President Obama, and I'm praying Psalm 109, verse 8. That's all it said. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Someone's praying for our president. So I went out and I looked up the verse and it says, may his days be few and may another take his place. (laughs) Which I admit is really, really funny. Except I saw it in the church parking lot. 
Actually, I'm kidding about that part. I saw it near the church parking lot. I don't know. I, you know what? I don't know who posted that. But when Jesus says, pray for your enemy, that's not what he meant. Can we agree on that? And it's funny, but it's not funny on your bumper. Because it expresses something that goes on in here. And it's a message with a point. And the point is to bring hostility toward a person who we've been called to respect, to give honor to, our political leaders. And, of course, either party who's in office, the other people can use Psalm 109, verse 8. You know, when Jesus says, I want you to pray for your enemies, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to pray for them to prosper. You got people in your life you treat with contempt. You treat them like they're stupid. You treat, you treat them like, well, if, you, you know, if they knew as much as I did or if they were as smart as I did, they'd agree with me on all these things. Jesus says, I want you to pray for those people to prosper. And I want you to pray for them to have peace. That's what he wants. Pray for your enemy to prosper and to have peace. And then there's one more statement. It's not found in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's found in the book of Romans, which I think sometimes expounds on the Sermon on the Mount. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is giving tons of information about how do you live out this life of loving Jesus in practical ways, really, really practical. Romans chapter 12. But Romans chapter 12, verse 14, gives this little statement that adds to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know what the word bless comes from? It's, it's the Greek word eulageo, or the noun form is eulagia. Does that sound familiar? It's what we do when we talk nice to someone when they die, or we talk nice about them when they die. It's a eulogy. It just means good words. When Paul says that, he says, do this to those who persecute you. Do this to those who are your enemies. Speak good words to them. To them. Or you can speak good words about them. That would be helpful as well. But he says, speak good words to them. Bless them. Bless and do not curse. I wonder what would happen if Jesus' followers through 2,000 years would have taken the words of Jesus seriously. We didn't fudge them. We didn't, we didn't grab onto the axiom of the Pharisees and go, oh, yeah, yeah, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. If we had taken Jesus' words seri- seriously when he says, love your enemies, I wonder where we'd be today 2,000 years later. I am not expecting the world to change for us. I believe Jesus is expecting us to change for the world. You know, when Jesus was given the Sermon on the Mount, he said, because the Pharisees thought they were all good because they're like, hey, I, I say hello to when people say hello to me. I, you know, I, I love the people that love me back. I, I'm righteous. Jesus said, what are you, nuts? You love the people who love you? He says, that's the lowest form of humanity. Everybody does that. Tax collectors do that. Pagans do that. Everybody loves those who love them. Everybody says hi to their own brother or sister. You're not that hot, Mr. Pharisee. If you greet your brother only, what do you do more than others? If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? 
You know the word greet? He says greet. If you greet your brother only, the word greet comes from a Greek word that means to hold something to someone for acceptance. To hold something out to someone for acceptance. What have we been saying through this whole series? One of the applications we've been dealing with is be the first to reach your hand across a divide. Be the first. Whether they're just like you or whether they're the opposite of you, be the first. We tried it with those of a different race. We tried it with those who see sexuality different. What if we tried it with our enemy? Maybe it would change the world. At least it would change us. Be the first. Jesus, I pray for us today. I believe we need your power to do what you're asking us to do. And so my commitment for me, Lord, is, is to open myself up to you and to your power and to your desire and to your teaching. I pray that for my friends here in the room, Lord. When the rubber hits the road and it gets right down to our enemies, it gets really hard. But I pray this for us, that we would love our enemies just like we love our family that we would pray for them, that we would bless them, and that you would reshape us as you want us to be. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do, even when we were enemies to you. Amen.